So we'll just read the passage first, starting at verse 18 in 1 Peter chapter 2. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh, for this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be <coughs> excuse me, the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So I was thinking on this passage, <clears throat> There's there's something here, I think, for each and every one of us. And uh, I suggest to you, it's how do we react when we are mistreated? We have two specific examples here, but how do the rest of us, we might not all be wives or employees or slaves, but how do we react when we're mistreated, when we think we should be treated in a certain way and we're not treated as we think we ought and maybe we're not? What's our reaction? And, you know, we can be mistreated, and that's one problem, but our reaction, that, that can be another problem. And if we react in a way that, um, you know, we, we flip out and take a hissy fit and get ourselves all bent out of shape, to put it in the vernacular, <laughs> we got another problem, right? We got ourselves as a problem. And what I suggest is that in this passage, we have a solution for each of us here today, how to uh, <clears throat> maintain our composure in any situation and when we're mistreated. So, uh, some of you were here uh, at the Welcome Back Outreach weekend, September 24th, and you would have heard Sandy McEachern on the patio, and he gave an explanation targeting visitors to explain to them what we do here at the church. And I really appreciated what he had to say. He said, you know, we're not, it's not about religion at this, at this building here. It's about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's 
a wonderful reminder for us. And he went on on the Sunday to talk about how we can get to know the Lord better. So our prime motivation as Christians in life is what? It's our love for the Savior. It's our love for the Savior. And in this passage, we saw last week about submission to government. And tonight it talks about, takes the examples of submission to slaves to masters and wives to their husbands. But <clears throat> tucked away in the middle of all this is a portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it's just wonderful to look at that. We, we look at verses um, uh, 21 to 25. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example. So I'd like us to take some time and just look at this portrait that we have of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this is, the, this is what he's asking us to do, to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ when we are in situations that are, uh, for whatever reason, uncomfortable for us. So, <clears throat> verse uh, 24, we read this. Who himself bore our sins on his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. So this is the first thing that we are we appreciate the Lord for, is substitutionary death. That was unique. We don't suffer for others. And Christ died on our behalf. And it's been impressed on my minds, and I've mentioned it a few times, but doing these surveys door to door, Collectively, we've done over about 100 of them, 200 of them now. And I've done my share of them, and it's surprising me time and time again. Everybody thinks, well, you can't be sure you're going to heaven because you never know when, you're going to, when you've done enough good. And whether you're talking to some sorts of Christians or Muslims or Buddhists, if God thinks I've done more good than bad, maybe he'll let me in. Maybe. But we know and we can rejoice in the gospel that Christ died for our sins. And we're not going to heaven because of something we've done, but because we, of what Christ has done. And it's salvation is a gift. And that's a wonderful message that people don't know. <laughs> they think Christianity is a religion. It's a good works religion. And the more good you do, the more chance you have to go to heaven. But he reminds us here once again that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And so we have salvation. It's, it's the grace of God. And uh, he's given it to us as a gift. We love him because he first loved us. We read in 1 John. And I love the Lord because he heard my voice. We read in Psalm 116. So God's love for us is our motivation in whatever we do, right? So we're considering the person of the Lord Jesus Christ here. And then in verse 24, he says uh, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. So he suffered, Christ suffered, so that we might live for righteousness. Not only has he given us salvation, but he also wants us to live for him. That's why he suffered. And sometimes when we think about it, um, you know, should we carry on with the Lord Jesus? Should we do his will? Should we serve him? Uh, we're encouraged to think about his sufferings and that, in fact, he died that we might live uh, for righteousness. This is what God wants us to do, live in righteousness. And then he goes on to say, by whose stripes you were healed. 
And so through the wounds of Christ at the cross, believers are healed spiritually from deadly disease of sin, and our physical healing will come totally at our glorification when there'll be no more physical pain. We'll go to be with the Lord, and our bodies will be transformed. We'll be saved, as I'm sure many of you have heard many times, the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day the presence of sin will be with the Lord. So our salvation is complete. So we're exhorted in this passage to look at the Lord Jesus. And what is interesting is that uh, there was a purpose in the Lord's suffering. It wasn't just random. He suffered for a reason. And all of our suffering is for a reason as well. It's not random. We know that one of the reasons we read in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, is that uh, we read this verse, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among brethren. So that's one of the purposes we know that God has for us in everything when we're suffering. For whatever reason, God is using it to transform our character to resemble Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit of God in us. So regardless of the situations we might find ourselves in, they're not by accident. And going back to verse 21, we read this. He says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. And this word example means writing under. It was writing under, like writing under a piece of paper, tracing letters, thus a pattern. So we're called to follow Christ in this pattern even of suffering. Christ is the pattern for Christians to follow in suffering with perfect patience. Um, <clears throat> he's, also, he's given us a model of endurance in unjust suffering. And we read uh, recently, I think, at the Lord's Supper, Ephesians 5.1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, or to be imitators of God. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So none of us like suffering. None of us signed up for suffering, but our Lord suffered. <laughs> And we're following our Lord Jesus. We're Christians, right? We follow the Lord Jesus through his spirit. We're asked to be his followers. And so he's promised us uh, suffering. And he's asked us to follow him and to uh, learn from him in our, in our sufferings, whatever they are, and to, by his grace, follow his example. And here's the example. He says you should follow uh, he's, he's left us an example that you should follow his steps. So I'm not making this up, right? He said, who committed no sin. Now, of course, the Lord was, the Lord was sinless. We're not sinless. But he doesn't want us to sin, right? It's always intrigued me that the Lord Jesus Christ <clears throat> was sinless throughout his whole life, even when he was a child, when he was a teenager, up until the, his public ministry. And guess what? It didn't bring him any fame or fortune, did it? <laughs> he wasn't recognized. His, even his, his, his mother, we get a sense that she knew something was going on, and his father, his uh, <clears throat> earthly father, but 
his siblings didn't appreciate him, right? And didn't think that much of him. And yet he was perfect. He was sinless. So leading a sinless life is not going to be necessarily recognized by others. Not that we're, any, not that we're very close to being sinless. But we're not to sin. We live before God. And then he goes on to say, nor was deceit found in his mouth. So what, what is deceit? Well, it's the practice of deceiving, concealment or distortion of the truth for the purpose of misleading, fraud, cheating. In Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, we read, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That's the essence of confession, is it not? Where we, we confess our sins before God. Uh, there's no deception, there's no deceit. We're telling the truth before God. We're not hiding anything. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Behold, I'm an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. There was no hypocrisy. And then he goes on to verse, in verse 23, we read this. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. Uh, the NIV says, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. Uh, the NASB says, and while being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. So what does revile mean? It's not a word we use that often. It means to speak to someone abusively, right? To use a contemptuous language. And I think we can, we can understand that. And um, I'm sure you can think of examples or people you know, and perhaps yourself. You can just uh, put a little tack on their chair and boom, they're going to blow up, right? <laughs> you can say something to them and you know that right away you're going to get that answer back. And you might be that way yourself. Um, and it, it's, it's fairly common practice amongst, amongst siblings, right? They kind of know what buttons to press to, uh, to get people to react. He says we're not supposed to react that way. We're not supposed to let ourselves be run by our, our pride and by our, uh, any sort of, uh, any sort of um, uh, trying to hit somebody back. And um, some of you here might know our good brother Chuck Giannotti, and once the last time he was here, I uh, <clears throat> standing at the hallway after he preached, and I, 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 I winked at his uh, wife, I forget her name, Chuck and Mary. And I went up to Chuck, I said, Chuck, your, your preaching's really improved since the last time you were here. And uh, he was gracious. He said, no, I think, Brian, your, your hearing's just got a lot better. <laughs> so he, he, didn't, he, didn't, he did well on the little test there. But... Uh, you know, somebody else might have been upset with me, but I, I knew him well enough to know I could say that to him. But anyways, you know, all in humor. But <clears throat> we're not to, you know, we should be people who can take criticism, take, you know, there's, all, there's, there's areas where we're probably more sensitive in than others, but we shouldn't just be reacting like a, you know, you touch a snake and boom, right? We should be dominated by 
the Spirit of God. When, when Christ was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. And so we see Christ on the cross. He could have called a thousand angels. He could have done anything, but what did he do? No, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right? And he's, he's asking us to be like that and not always be fighting back and uh, threatening people um, <clears throat> and so on. So this is the example that we're given by Christ. And we read here that... Uh, you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And the Lord himself is interested in our souls. He wants our soul to be in good condition. He doesn't want us to be dominated by feelings of revenge or resentment or hatred or any sort of uh, bad direction. He wants, he wants us to be dominated by him. So if we go back to our examples that he gives, he says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh, for this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it if, if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But if when you do good and suffer, if you, you take it patiently, this is commendable. Now, um, we, don't, we don't endorse slavery and even less anybody getting beat up, right? <laughs> but that was the situation there then. And even in that situation, he, he doesn't want, he's not saying this is okay that masters beat their slaves, but he's saying don't fall prey to having a vengeful, vengeful spirit. Don't fall prey to hatred and uh, quenching the Spirit of God because of how somebody treats you. And whatever our situation is, uh, it's the same. We, we don't want to have a second problem, and that is we're asked to manage our reactions. Um, he says, with all fear. And who is, who is the fear to here? It's not the fear of the master, but rather it's a fear of God. We read in Proverbs that the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. And in Psalm 25, we read, Who is the man that fears the Lord? He shall teach, teach him in the way he chooses. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and show him his covenant, and so on. There's a lot in the Word of God about the fear of God. In our, in our book, the meaning of marriage, there's a good discussion on the fear of, of the Lord on page 68, for those of you who done your homework for last week. Uh, the author writes this, Obviously, to be in the fear of the Lord is not to be scared of the Lord, even though the Hebrew word has overtones of respect and awe. Fear in the Bible means to be overwhelmed with wonder before the greatness of God and his love. It means that because of his bright holiness and magnificent love, you will find him fearfully beautiful. That is why the more we experience God's grace and forgiveness, the more we experience a trembling and wonder before the greatness of all that he is and has done for us. Fearing him means bowing before him out of amazement at his glory and beauty. And Paul speaks of the love of Christ constraining us. So we are to 
react to people out of our dedication and our fear of the Lord, in, in, in awe of the Lord. And then we go, around, we go down to the next passage in chapter 3, where we read, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, uh, that even if some do not obey the word, they, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So here we have this fear again, not fear of the man, but fear of God. And the, uh, the lesson here is that, as we often say, actions speak louder than words. And the idea here is that uh, um, a, a woman who is displaying the fruits of the Spirit will be more effective in winning over her husband than, than somebody who is uh, potentially nagging her husband. Um, this passage, of course, doesn't in any way teach that uh, women are to put up with an abusive situation, and, and the word abusive has a lot of, a big range of meanings to it, and you can uh, Google it and find out if you're in an abusive relationship or not. You'll get some ideas. <laughs> but in the, in the church... In Matthew 18, verse 15, we read, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take one with you, take with you one or two or more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. That's in Matthew 18. So just briefly, I suggest that if, if somebody thinks their husband or wife is sinning against them, we are to <clears throat> speak to them about it. And if they don't want to listen, then we're to talk to somebody else about it and, and widen the circle and bring in, get some help. Uh, he goes on here to say in uh, verse 3, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel and so on, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And this, this corresponds to what we read throughout the Bible, and that is God is always interested in the inward person rather than the outward, right? We see this throughout the Bible. We see it in 1 Samuel 16. Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And in Matthew 23, we have that description of the Pharisees who had cleaned the outside, but not the inside. So women and men were exhorted to have, um, to have cultivated the fruit of God, the fruit of the Spirit in our inner life. He says, a gentle and quiet spirit is of great, is precious in the sight of God, and, and not only in the sight of God, but in the sight of, of everybody. What is a gentle and quiet spirit? Well, uh, peaceful, tender, merciful, temperate, docile, considerate, moderate, pleasant. What's the opposite? Harsh, cruel, callous, violent, wild, unruly, rough, hard. And if you think of it, whether it be a man or a woman, uh, a gentle, quiet spirit wins out every time, right? How can you reason and discuss with someone who's callous and loud, whether it be a man or a woman? 
there's no real communication. So <clears throat> we're blessed and as Christians to have the Holy Spirit in us. And the Word of God exhorts us to look to the Lord Jesus and to follow his example. And this is what we do every Sunday, right, at the Lord's Supper. But I find it very significant that we're given this portrait of the Lord Jesus right in the middle of these exhortations. We're in a relationship with the Lord. We live for the Lord. And we want the Lord to control our reactions to people, control our, our character in every situation. And uh, the argument that we have here is that the Lord himself suffered un under the hands of men. But he didn't fall into resentment and anger and vengeance and self-pity. He let God run his life and we're to follow his example and not let our conduct be determined by our sinful nature, but by the Spirit of God. May God bless his word to our hearts. Our blessed God, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Savior. We're thankful that we can uh, <clears throat> know him in a real and personal way. We're, th we're so thankful for the, the gift of salvation. We're thankful for the Spirit of God who you've put in our hearts. And we're thankful that we can follow the Lord Jesus by his grace, with his help, and uh, <clears throat> to the honor and glory of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so help us in every situation that all of us find ourselves in, that we might live to your honor and glory. By your grace, in Jesus' name, amen.